What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Heartland After Dark podcast, part of the Heartland College Sports Podcast Network. My name is Joe Tillery. I work for Heartland College Sports, and I am joined by another fellow co-worker, my friend here, Derek Duke. Derek, how was your day going, man? You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, been pretty good. Uh, excited to uh, to start up this podcast. It's something that uh, you know you and I, Joe, have been talking about for a while. Um, just kind of everything with everything going on, and everybody I feel like has a podcast. I haven't done a podcast in a very long time, but I felt like you know us making one to kind of create our own and kind of do what we want to do and talk about the things that we want to talk about uh, with the Big Twelve moving forward. I think it's very exciting. It's an exciting time to be in the Big 12. It's an exciting time to talk about the Big 12. So a lot of excitement surrounds the conference. And for the first time in I don't know how many years I've been covering the conference, I mean, there's just a level of excitement that I've never seen before. So it's a, it's a very great time to be in the conference and talk about it. So what better time to start a podcast about the Big 12 than right now? I mean, absolutely. You nailed that, man. It feels like there's just a different – era of Big 12 fandom, of everything going on in the conference, especially under Brett Yormark. Things are brighter than ever. It feels like right now, but I do want to give a little bit of an outline for the show, and maybe I'll let you take over and kind of mention what fans should expect out of this show and what type of things we're going to talk on as in each episode. Well, I think the first thing, obviously, we're going to talk about, uh, of course, we're going to start it off the right way with booze, because whenever I'm on the keyboard, Joe, you know I like to have a cold beer, maybe a <laughs> little whiskey, bourbon, so it, it's it's a must. It's my thinking fuel. Uh, creative juice, whatever you want to call it. But <laughs> I, uh, first, we're going to start off with the booze. Of course, we're going to talk about uh, Big 12 football. And then we'll kind of also end, the, end, end every show talking about our bets for the week, our favorite bets, lines, whatever it may be. So booze, bets, Big 12 football, you've all got it. We have all got it covered right here for you. Hey, there's nothing better than that. That is the American dream. And on that topic, on the topic of booze, that is, like you said, it, it is the dream juice. It's whatever you want to say. That might be the worst way for me to refer to it of all time. But I'll tell you what I am drinking right now. I went out, we had tacos tonight. So what what better to go with tacos than ice cold margaritas? So I've got one of the pre-mixed margarita things. Yes, I didn't make it myself and that's on me, but it is what I'm rocking tonight for this episode. Derek, what do you got in your hand tonight? I have decided to pour my, uh, break out the, uh, the old, get in the liquor cabinet and pour myself a little glass of Eagle Rare. So it is one of the... Sheesh. Harder to find bourbons around my area, but uh, it's one of my favorite bourbons. So I thought tonight for episode one, I'd break out something that I really, really like and that's really special to me. So uh, cheers to everybody. Hey, big cheers. A toast to everyone. A toast to all of you listening. We appreciate having you. Derek, my pockets aren't deep enough for Eagle Rare. I'll tell you that right now. So (laughs) that is a, a major flex in episode one, but we appreciate it. But touching on things, going a little bit closer to the Big 12 line, we've talked a little bit about expansion. You know, it feels like everybody's mentioned expansion. Everybody's talking about different teams joining the league and different reports are breaking on a daily basis. Do you kind of want to give your thoughts about expansion? I mean, you've spent more time with the league than I have, and I'd love to hear kind of what you think about the momentum behind the Big 12 right now and some of the new teams coming in in this year and next year. Yeah, I I mean, I'll start by saying I've been covering the conference since 2016. Since then, there hasn't been a whole lot of movement outside of obviously now the big movement we've seen over the last two years with Texas and Oklahoma leaving for the SEC and now the school's coming in. But from you know 2016 to up to 2020 through 2020, there was just nothing going on with expansion. In fact, when I started covering the conference, the main topic was the Big 12 expanding, not losing teams. So it's kind of we've kind of gone on this full cycle. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't here during the uh, the 2000 early 2010s where you had Colorado and, and Nebraska leaving and Texas A&M and all that. But it's definitely an exciting time. Um, for me, the, the entire, I guess, summer 
it really wasn't even about college football because usually you kind of go into Big 12 media days and it's all about football. It's all about the preseason. It's all about what these teams are going to look like. And instead, it was just like nonstop realignment, literally. And it's felt like that for the last year or so because, you know, it was what was the Pac-12 going to do? Is the Big 12 going to expand? Uh, is the Big Ten going to add some more teams? You know, what about the ACC? They're having problems now, too. So for me, it's just been a cluster, you know what, of a summer when it comes to offseason topics. It's fun to an extent, but at the same time, when you're when you're kind of part of the one trying to cover it, it really kind of uh, digs in your in your back there because it is just so exhausting and tiring because the rumors literally are just nonstop. And, you know, whether you got people on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, everybody's got a take on it. Everybody's got an opinion or this person heard something from that person. My second cousin told me this. My barber <laughs> told me this. It just it, it comes out of literally the woodworks out of nowhere with all these rumors but at the end of the day when i think when you look at what the big 12 was able to add with uh arizona arizona state utah and colorado for me that was a big big get and not only that you you kind of gain strength of the state at the same time you really put your foot on the neck of the pac-12 and now you're really kind of able to crush them because after this season i mean the pac-12 it's literally going to be the mountain west uh, conference. It's just, you know, eventually I'm assuming the two are going to merge at some point if George Klevikoff had any brains, but which we, we know that, you know, we don't want to give him too much credit because he's not a very smart thinker or planner, obviously. But for me, that, that just is, it's, it's so nice to see that the big 12 finally kind of is on the winning edge of this whole realignment thing. You know, it does feel like there's a whole different energy behind it. Like I have, you know, granted, not been covering the league that long. I was in college, and obviously I cared about sports. I cared about a lot of the on-the-field stuff and didn't read too much into the behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, realignment was kind of just a foreign thing to me because I started covering the league, I think it was sometime middle 2021, somewhere around there, and it could be 2022, and I'm messing dates up. But I wasn't fully involved in that process as much of recover of, uh, excuse me, of covering that area of the big 12. I'd kind of heard some of the rumors. I knew that Texas and Oklahoma were doing what they're going to do, but I didn't know the full extent of, okay, Brett, your marks taken over. This is what the target is. This is what's going to happen. And now it just feels like, I mean, yes, there's a new report every single day. You know, you've got four or five guys going to bat for one another on Twitter. Another guy tosses a wrench in it. It feels like it's just a daily Olympics of who has the most up-to-date source or the most up-to-date report. And that's a wild thing to be a part of. You know, I know that might be the understatement of the year, but the stability in this era of the Big 12 is unbelievable. It's unprecedented unprecedented to see at this moment in time. You know, you see Texas and Oklahoma leave, and it wasn't in a great fashion. I mean, everybody knows what the process was like. And I think everyone kind of got to that point where it's okay. Even though you don't want to admit it, you're still losing two key teams that have been here for a while. And you kind of start to look around and say, well, I mean, what's going to happen to the league? You know, what's the future of the league? Commissioner Bob Bowlesby goes out, and then Brett Yormark eventually as well, goes out and finds four really solid teams to step into the Big 12 and further solidify, hey, we're going to be fine. Everybody here is stable. We're going to do just fine. And then it felt like, and I don't know if you agree with this in this sense, but it felt like this summer, I didn't know if anything was actually going to get done with the Pac-12. I know that with the TV deal, things were winding down to the point where it was, okay, you're either going to jump ship or you're just going to stay there too long. And obviously that is what we saw with, with just about every team, except for the four remaining teams. I didn't know if there would actually have some type of an end goal at the end of the summer. It felt like we'd just keep waiting until eventually the entire thing either exploded or someone moved on, someone went. 
I didn't expect Colorado to jump like that that fast, but what an incredible land for the Big 12 for Brett Yormark. It feels like the era we're headed into with 16 teams is unbelievable to be a part of, no matter whether you're an original team or you're a new coming team. Like just talking to some of the Cincinnati guys, for example, at Big 12 Media Days, like having people be absolutely stoked to be a part of the conference. I mean, that's a whole new feeling that I think everyone in the league can kind of echo to that statement right now. And I'm just pumped, man. I got to tell you, we're closing in on college football about a week away. Obviously, we had the week zero games. I don't know how you feel about any of those matchups. I didn't watch a ton of them, but I saw, you know, here and there just to get the feeling of watching someone hit somebody else, watching a coach call a play, having everything go into that. But man, we are so close to Big 12 football. It's unbelievable. Oh, for sure, Joe, man. It, you hit the get it right on the head there. I just we're right around the corner. It feels like we can finally kind of put a, put a, behind the realignment talk behind us and just kind of focus in on the season. Um, with that said, I, I agree with most of your points there. I think that the thing for me is just the just how excited and how happy everyone was. You mentioned a Big 12 Media Day, Cincinnati. You were talking to some guys from Cincinnati. I remember uh, the guys at UCF. Remember they were handing out all those flyers and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were talking to everybody nonstop. Uh, so it was it was really cool to see. And I think in the end result, you have to be happy with with how the Big 12 is shaken out and. Obviously, you mentioned we didn't know what was going to happen with the with the conference either because everybody was kind of just waiting on the Pac-12, and I've said it in many of my articles before. I mean, the Pac-12 commissioner, George Klebikoff, he was literally kicking a can down the road for as long as he could, and and eventually that can happened to land on the Big 12 street, and they and Brett Yormark picked it up and you know put and kept it for himself and did what he wanted with it, but. In the end, I think you have to be really, really happy in how things have, have turned out for the conference. And, you know, there may not be, when you look at all 16 teams, by, by the time next season rolls around, yes, you're going to lose Texas and Oklahoma. But when you look at all the teams that are going to come in in 2024, and the whole, if you look at the whole thing, it may not, you may not say, oh, this team's going to be dominant. This team's going to be dominant. This brand's not, you know, as good as this brand. Forget about the brand. It's, the strength here is in the numbers. That's how you win this battle. It is being on a united front. And I think from day one, these big 12 schools have done that to where maybe it's not the Pac-12. We have schools like Washington and Oregon kind of flirting with the Big Ten. Obviously, Colorado flirting with the Big 12. You had teams talking to the ACC. So it was just kind of all over the place. But in the Big 12, for everybody to stay united, and I really do believe it's a strength in numbers thing, and that's why – I think, you know, the Big 12 right now, it's better than the Pac-12. It's better than the ACC. I don't care about Clemson or Florida State. As a whole, the Big 12 Conference is in a really great position. Yeah, it's just been wild to, wild to cover, wild to follow. And I've been just thrilled with every point that happened this summer. I mean, there's been some wild things that I didn't expect to happen for another year, another two years down the road. And I think, like, it's been mentioned a hundred times before, but the Big 12, Brett Yormark re-upping on the media rights, on the, on the TV deal through the eventual contract, like getting a one-up on the Pac-12 in that market, like I'm sure that that wasn't the final straw. Obviously the team's leaving was, but that was a massive advantage for the Big 12. Something that completely took everybody a little bit by like, okay, this dude, Brett Yormark is moving different. And he's had examples of that. You know, he transformed a lot of things from last year that really put some good things out there for the Big 12, increased the brand, recognizability and everything along those lines. But it was just incredible to be a part of, and I was so stoked to cover it. That being said, I am totally getting closer to that burnout line of re- realignment stories, and I'm ready to shelf it 
for a while. I think everybody is to an extent. <laughs> I mean, you see it. It's We're close to football. We're like one week away. You know, we've got football teams playing on Thursday of next week from the Big 12. And while it's not, you know, it is the non-conference matchups. Just having the right dudes on the field is going to be an unbelievable feeling. One where we can kind of talk about it differently and say, you know what? Realignment can go away for a bit. Obviously, teams like, you know, Washington State and Oregon State, all the schools left in the Pac-12, Pac-4, whatever you want to call it, those guys are going to be stressed stressed out. But life is good in the Big 12 for the first time in, not necessarily for the first time forever, but to have it as good as we do, this is unbelievable. And I'm so excited for it. Well, without a doubt, man, it's, it's like I said, I keep using the word excitement because I can't, I can't think of any other way to describe it. And I've ne- really, since I've been doing, you know, covering the conference for a f- the last few years, there's really no better time than right now to be a part of the conference. So that's why I keep going back to that same word over and over, but it, it truly, I, I truly mean it. I mean, it is really exciting. I'm happy. I mean, there's really nothing you can kind of, I mean, if you really want to nitpick, you know, maybe with Arizona state or Utah about, how they kind of feel about the whole thing. Maybe that's kind of where you nitpick, but you know, I'm not going to get into the whole Arizona state leadership and, and some of the stuff I've heard from Utah, but that we'll save that for next year. But for now we do have four new teams coming in with BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF Uh, really looking forward to seeing them. It feels like forever since we've added them, uh, accepted their uh, you know, whatever you want to call it to the big 12 conference. You know, it's been two years in the making for these four schools, and now the time has finally come uh, for these four. And just really, really happy for these teams. I mean, if you think about it right now, these are pretty cool destinations. And we'll kind of talk about that, obviously, next year, because we have four more great destinations coming in next year. But when you think about Provo, Houston, Cincinnati, and the city of Orlando for UCF, I mean, it is a great I mean, all those are great cities to me. I've, I've had the pleasure of being to three of those four cities. I've not been to uh, Cincinnati just yet, so I still haven't gotten to chow down on some of that delicious Skyline chili that everybody talks about. But those four teams, obviously, uh, welcome into the conference. And if you're listening from one of those uh, new schools or you're a fan of one of those schools, we welcome you. But I do want to ask you, Joe, out of those new four schools, which school will have the most success in year one, in your opinion? You know, I've thought about this. And the, there's there's one immediate answer, and I'll explain on that in a second. When you say compete, I think that UCF is going to have the immediate success this year. Maybe not translating to eight or nine win success, but they could compete and be a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 team closer to the high end if they wanted to. Um, I think the second part of that is the, t- the tough part going off of UCF is I don't know which of the next three teams would be the right answer. With UCF, I mean, the thing that blows my mind, they joined the conference July 1st they're officially Big 12 members. They've added 11 prospects that are all three and four-star athletes since that date. I mean, they're currently looking, if you've seen the ranking sheet, it's been going super viral right now, so I imagine you have. In 2024 class rankings, UCF's at the top based off prospects. They have like 18 committed prospects, nine of which are four-star recruits, nine of which are three-star recruits. And I know that that's eventually 2024. For focusing on this year, they have a good squad. And I think Gus Malzahn, like, he has the most, you know, respectable tenure of the coaches coming into the conference, you know, actually showing up on tape saying this guy can win us games immediately. And I think he's had some of those runs with different schools, but now getting to the Big 12, competing against the likes of the, you know, the Sonny Dykes or the Chris Kleimans of the league, you know, Mike Gundy, for example, I think this guy will be able to hold his own to an extent. 
Whereas like Scott Satterfield enters the conference and I just don't know what to expect with him as a first year head coach. I think that my immediate answer would definitely be UCF. I like their quarterback. Also just signed a uh, an NIL deal the other day with Icy Hot, I saw, which is pretty cool. The first college athlete ever to do that. Pretty sweet to see, but I think I think it's UCF, but I'm very interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. Well, first off, Icy Hot just brings back some bad memories for me. I don't I don't know anybody that would like to touch that stuff because uh, <laughs> it just burns like hell, to be honest with you. But hey, Shaq knows what he's doing. Shaq does know what he's doing. You're right. And, and speaking of UCF, I, I kind of agree with you there. Um, you mentioned the 2024 recru- recruiting class, nine four-star commits for that class. I mean, that is – they have the same amount of four-star commits as Texas does. And, and you want to call – you know, we talked about – I remember talking about in an article – about the state of Florida and them talking about it being a big four, you know, instead of a big three or whatever it is. So for me with Florida, Florida state, Miami, and I think you can now include UCF in that list because Mm -hmm. if you're looking at recruiting rankings and Miami has been a school that with all that NIL money has done a lot of things good, but UCF right now has more four-star commits than, than Miami. I mean, tell me that, you know, them joining the big 12 doesn't matter because it definitely does. And as far as on the field, I think this year definitely is UCF is my pick for to make the most immediate impact this year for the four new schools. I mean, when you just look at the team overall, you mentioned John Reese Plumley, He's returning at quarter, a quarterback. He led the team in rushing last season. I think he needs to maybe get better as a passer. Uh, R.J. Harvey and Johnny Richardson return at the running back duo. They brought in a great former five-star running back into Marcus Bowman. Uh, Javon Baker and Kobe Hudson are two really good weapons I like on the outside. Uh, the only question I really have for offense is going to be if Plumlee can get better as a passer, and I think the offensive line may be a little bit of a big concern for me. Uh, defensively, I think their front can be really, really good. Uh, however, the rest of that back end of the defense, I think I have some question marks about it. Uh, we'll kind of get into where we kind of think UCF falls in the Big 12 pecking order, but as far as the four new schools go, I think I, I like UCF to make have the biggest impact in year one. I think that's right. That is a wild stat about him leading the team in rushing. I mean, that is an athlete and a half. And, you know, everybody knows that he's a two-sport athlete, and there's a thousand different clips of him, you know, hitting home run after home run on the baseball team. The guy also sings. The guy also plays the piano. That dude is an unbelievable specimen of a person. And I think, like, they've got some good things going in UCF. You mentioned it. They've got to get some production at the running back spot, but I just don't see as many holes in UCF that I do with like Houston or Cincinnati, for example. BYU just, I just don't know what to expect with BYU. Obviously, I'm not picking them to win eight games, seven games, nine games, but I think it's just going to be, there's just going to be a lot of interesting games to start off the Big 12. And I think we're going to learn a lot in the first couple of weeks, even though it'll be non-conference schedule stuff, there's going to be a lot to learn in the next couple of weeks. And I do want to ask you, Touching on some of those college football games, the AP poll just released headed into the season, and they featured four Big 12 teams on that list. I want to ask your opinions if if teams are too high, too low, or if there's any snubs on the list. If you haven't had a time to look at it, this is what the list actually showed. You had the Texas Longhorns checking in at 11th, the Kansas State Wildcats at 16th. Back-to-back, they've got TCU at 17 and Oklahoma at 20th. Now, four teams that make it, people, there was a lot of hype for Texas Tech, and I don't want to steal your thunder or anything but I'd love to hear your thoughts of just kind of the poll overall and expectations with that release. I think just with the poll overall, I think if you're talking about, about the big 12 teams, definitely, I think Texas tech is definitely snub for me and that you're going to, I hate to say it, you're going to hear a lot more about Texas tech as we get through this podcast for me, because they're a very interesting team in my opinion. 
Texas Tech belongs on that list. Uh, I really don't have a problem necessarily with the teams that are on the list being on there. Uh, TCU, I think you mentioned TCU as well. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. TCU at 17. TCU, TCU for me personally, I don't have them as high as some other people. I've got them pick six in the Big 12. You know, just without what they've lost last season with Max Duggan and, and Quentin Johnson, those were two huge. I mean, let's face it, Max Duggan was the heartbeat of that TCU mm-hmm. team. And at times he literally carried them on his back. As we saw in the Big 12 title game, although they did not win the Big 12 title game, he definitely had some moments last year where he just put the offense on his back and said, you know what, I'm going to get this done, and I'm going to do it. So, And he did. So to his credit, he definitely did. But for me, TCU, I don't think belongs on that list. I think obviously, but at the same time, I guess I could see where they're coming from, them being the uh, you know the runner-up last season, so maybe they're just showing some respect. Texas Tech belongs on that list. I could make an argument for Texas and Kansas State both being higher. Kansas State, I feel like in that in that particular pe- in that particular order, is not getting the respect that they probably deserve. They were, they are the defending Big Twelve champions. Obviously, they didn't win the game against Alabama last year in the bowl game, which you know I don't think should really hurt them at all. But I think Kansas State could be higher as well. Uh, you know, I'll save a team that I'm going to talk about later. I'm not going to mention them right now, but definitely Texas Tech deserves to be on that list, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you, and also on the TCU front, you know, they lost a lot of pieces on defense as well. I mean, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, their DB, is one of the best DBs in the nation. I think he won the award for the best DB in the nation. I could be wrong on that, so don't quote me on that, but I thought so. Goes to the NFL draft. I mean, they lost a lot of pieces on defense. And I know they were semi-active in the portal, but it's just hard to take. Obviously, Sonny Dykes had a crazy first year as head coach, but now you got to tr- now you got to pivot to Chandler Morris. I mean, you had a, a quarterback in Max Duggan who, like you mentioned, that Big 12 title game, that was TCU. That guy was TCU for that game. There was drive after drive of him clearly banged up and out of breath. You know, he took a massive shot to the ribs. I think it was Kansas State Kansas State's linebacker on a blitz and knocked the wind out of him completely. Guy still ran for like 60 yards by himself on that drive. I mean, the effort he showed. TCU is an interesting team to see. I, I'm okay with 17th. I think they could drop down a little bit to that 20 or 22 range. The one team that I'm, I, I, I do – well, I should mention – I do agree with you. Texas Tech should be in this list. You know, I don't think they should be top 15 or anything like that, but they should, they deserve a spot anywhere from, I don't know, 17 to 25, somewhere in that range. Oklahoma is an interesting one to me. Not because they're undeserving, not because they shouldn't be on the list, but it felt like, and I could just be taking some of the Texas hype and running with that, but it felt like there was a lot of offseason hype of a lot of people building up this Oklahoma team. To the point where, I, in my mind, even though I do think Kansas State's a better team, I think Texas is a better team. You know, I, I would argue that Texas Tech probably wins that game in a head-to-head matchup. I don't want to preview that right now. We'll talk about that later in the future. I think Oklahoma is just kind of a question mark for me because I have no idea what to expect. But personally, when the list dropped, I kind of expected to see Oklahoma ahead just because of their hype, not because they're a better team, because of the hype they build with the SEC move. I kind of expected to see them in the top 15, not because they were deserving once again. I think they're at a good spot. 20th is fine in the Big 12. Or, excuse me, 20th is fine in the overall poll. But they just kind of were a confusing spot for me. I don't think Brent Venables, obviously he had a tough first year. And I'm not going to make the case for Venables right now as to why he will be good. But I think that that's just a spot where maybe the voters had some type of a like, yeah, they're gone after one year. Yeah, they don't deserve to be this high. And I get that that means there's only 19 teams better than them. But Oklahoma was kind of an interesting one for me. So I'd like to ask you that real quick before we do move on. of like. How do you feel about Oklahoma at the 20th spot on the list? 
I probably feel okay with it. Um, I think I actually haven't picked third in the pre- my preseason poll this year. You know, for me, obviously a rough year last year. Uh, Brent Venables coming in, he was surrounded by a ton of hype because he was really a fan favorite. Uh, he was on the staff with Bob Stoops, you know, 10-plus years ago. Really made a name for himself at Clemson under Dabo Sweeney. Uh, had, you know, won himself a couple rings there in Clemson. So, for me, it was just kind of a homecoming of sorts. And I remember last last year going into the year, there was just so much talk about Venables and what he did differently. But at the same time, for me, it was a lot of comparisons from Lincoln Riley to Brent Venables. You know, what was Venables doing different than Riley? You know, last season didn't really matter because he went six and he went six and seven. You know, Lincoln, you could say what you want about Lincoln Riley. He did not go six and seven last year. I get it. A lot of pieces were gone. Caleb Williams was gone. A lot of those guys were gone. So a big turnover. Dylan Gabriel came in. So there was a lot of moving parts in year one under Brent Venables. Year two, I think you're going to kind of see himself establish himself a little bit better because I think he's starting to bring in the guys he wants. You're seeing it in the recruiting uh, recruiting classes right now, what he's been doing on the recruiting trail. I thought he did a great job. If there was really one team in the Big 12 that I say, oh, they get an A-plus because they hit the uh, hit the transfer portal really, really hard, and they got some really good guys. I think Oklahoma was probably on the top of that list. Um, it, a lot of this for me, though, in Oklahoma, I think defensively they're just going to have to get better. They added some good pieces. You know, They got Ethan Downs coming back. Uh, Rondell Bothroyd from Wake Forest was a really key addition on the defensive line. Uh, Danny Stutzman, a great linebacker. Um, They got a transfer from Indiana, Deshaun McCullough. So he was a former freshman All-American. So I think I'm really starting to like the shape of this defense. Offensively, I still have questions about Dylan Gabriel. Can he win? You know, can you put the game on Dylan Gabriel's back and can he go out and win it for you? I think that remains to be seen. Offensive line, I think, is going to be a better than what they were last season. I uh, need to see some more production from the running back position. But for me, the biggest question mark for the Oklahoma offense is going to be the wide receiver. Is Jalil, Jalil Farouk, is he going to step up? Stoops comes back for them as well. What seems like, God, he's been there for like 10 years now, it seems like, because uh, he's just been there forever. And then, you know, they've got a, a couple more key pieces they were able to add as well. But for me, it just needs to start coming together for Oklahoma. I don't know. I'm not going to say they're going to be, oh, you know, win the Big 12 or even get to the championship game. I have them at three. Honestly, if you told me they're going to finish fifth in the conference, I wouldn't make it, you know, argue against that. Uh, but I think for Oklahoma and Brett Venables, that program is really still a work in progress. And they're definitely going to need it for the uh, move that they're going to make next year. Yeah, I mean, that's a safe bet. I like what you said about they could finish fifth and nobody would really bat an eye. Um, but the team's just kind of a question mark right now. And obviously health is a big, you know, that's a big determiner for just about every team in the Big 12. Um, but I will say this on that topic, we kind of touched on it a little bit with Oklahoma. I want to ask you before we kind of completely shift topics off this, what are your thoughts on teams that, you know, if you could give me one team that will exceed expectations, one team that's not being talked about enough, and then one team that will fail to meet the expectations, you know, one that's been talked about all off season, someone you think could have a down year based off the expectation. I think if I'm going to start with, I want a team that's going to exceed expectations. Give me Oklahoma State here. Great and I'll, tell you, I'll, I'll tell you why, because I, I am a believer in Oklahoma State this year. I think them being picked seventh in the preseason media poll was criminal. I had them at fifth, so I had them two spots higher than what the rest of the media picked. For me, there's just so many things about Oklahoma State that's really interesting. I kind of talk about the team here. First off, they bring in Alan Bowman from Michigan. And for those Big 12 fans who have been around for a while, 
they remember Bowman at Texas Tech. And when he was at Texas Tech, when he was healthy, was probably one of the most talented quarterbacks in the conference. I mean, this guy can throw every kind of pass you can think of. He's pretty cool under pressure. I think he makes the right throws, and he's got a big-time arm, and he's super accurate. The problem at Texas Tech was he was just never healthy, and that's kind of followed him throughout his career at Texas Tech, at Michigan. So if he can stay healthy, I think Oklahoma State has a really good chance to make some noise. Uh, Ollie Gordon this year is the running back. He should get the bulk of the carries this season, which I think will be a good thing. The offensive line should be better. Brendan Presley is a guy that thinks going to have a big breakout year. And I like some of the additions they had with Jaden, uh, with uh, Deshaun Fibbling and Jaden Bray returns as well. So I like the receiver room. I mentioned Presley. Uh, he's going to have a big year. Defense, I think, has to be a better across the board. There's a lot of guys coming back because if you think about the transition they had from 21 to 22, that 21 defense was one of the best Big 12 defenses I have seen since covering the conference. I mean, they would that defense would win games, and you just don't see that in today's in today's college football. I, you know, I'm not saying they're going to make that, they're going to be that good, but I think they're going to be a lot better than what they were last year because they lost so many pieces from that 21 team. Uh, so for me, and I'll, I'll give you some interesting stats about Oklahoma State. Since 2009, Oklahoma State has finished outside the top five in the Big 12 just three times. And one of those times was last season. Since 2009, they have had 11 top three finishes in Big 12 play. They have been consistently one of the best teams in the conference year in and year out. And that's something that I don't care if we're talking Big 12, ACC, Pac-12, FC. Mike Gundy just simply does not get enough credit for what he's done there in Stillwater. He gets a lot of critique, and I certainly understand it with some of the things he's done and, and some of the moves he's made. But overall, as a program, they are one of the most consistent teams, not just in the Big 12, but in the entire country. So if I had a team that was going to, exceed expectations this year that's definitely one of them if i had a team that was probably going to disappoint me it's hard not to go with iowa state i mean just from mm -hmm. what they have lost with deckers and, and jareel brock those are two really key pieces offensively for them i think just unfortunately the whole gambling situation was really just kind of a dark cloud over the program because going into media days and, and going into even last month you just didn't know what the result of that that investigation was going to be uh, you know they had to let a few players go i think you know they definitely let go of some leaders but it, it, it's just a really unfortunate situation for iowa state and i really do feel bad for them i i'm not i'm just going to be honest with you i hate to say it but i don't i wouldn't be surprised if they finished you know second to last or even dead last in the big 12 this year mm -hmm. i i just don't see them with their schedule making a bowl game at all i just it's not there this year and maybe, and, you know, hopefully they prove me wrong. You know, I'm going to, we're, we're going to see backups, uh, you know, well, not backups anymore, but starting you see JJ Cole and Rocco Beck. So can one of those guys really emerge for them this year? We're going to find out a lot about the future of this team and this program this season, because you're going to have to see a lot of guys step up that maybe you weren't quite ready to, to play right now in this in 2023. Yeah. I think those are great picks. I'll say this before I move on, onto the, the excitement team, the team that I believe is going to overwhelm my expectations or outperform my expectations, Oklahoma State was my pick. So I'll give you the caveat for this one. To add to it, they're the only team in the Big 12 or one of the only teams in the Big 12 that plays all four newcoming teams. They play all four, you know, BYU, Houston, UCF, Cincinnati. They play all four. And looking through their schedule, I mean, yes, they've got hard games, but it's tough to find two tough games back-to-back. -to -back. I mean, the, the closest you'll get to that, like, 
Kansas State and Kansas back-to-back to start off October. You know, they go – they get Oklahoma, but then they go from Cincinnati to Oklahoma, Oklahoma to UCF. You can make the case Oklahoma to UCF. That schedule's set for a Mike Gundy run the table here. I 100% agree with you on that front. I think in that sense, I'll give you two different over what, you know, overperforming teams to touch on in two very different situations. I think this is kind of a tough one because there's a lot of teams in the middle that, you know, if they outperform my expectation, outperforming it is going seven and five or, or, you know, outperform my expectation somewhere in that six to 10 range in the Big 12. Because there's teams where I'm like, well, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah, I could see that happening. But I'll say this. And hear me out on this one before I make my full case. A team that could, you know, surprise me, not in terms of competing for the Big 12 title or anything ridiculous like that. The only reason I say this is that I think Houston is quickly getting dismissed. Not because they're going to be incredible or they're going to win more than six games, really. But I assume in your case, I know in my case, Houston's pretty much been picked to be in the bottom three teams of the Big 12 in every ranking at this point. And maybe I'm just overlooking this. But I think Donovan Smith is going to have so much of a chip on his shoulder that he's got something to prove every week. He elected to stay in the conference, stay with the Big 12. And I'm not sitting here saying he's going to be the best player in the conference or a top five quarterback even. But if this team wins five or six games, that's a hell of a season for these guys. And I know Dana, there's kind of a weird spot with Dana right now where he's kind of on a hot seat, kind of not, which is kind of wild after winning eight games in the previous season. I don't know if he's their guy long time. I will say Houston has the ability to win some of these games that they're quickly getting written off for. I don't necessarily say that to say they're going to win a ton of games, win a ton of whatever. I think they could play spoiler a little bit and compete with some teams where, you know, say Kansas is banged up and they match up, they go into it. They could sneak out that win. And obviously teams like West Virginia, I have no idea what West Virginia is going to do. I don't even really know if Neil Brown will make it the full season. So I'm not going to focus on West Virginia, but I think Houston could win at least one or two more games than I expect. And then another team on that same vein before I move on. I don't know how much I'd consider this outperforming expectations, but the top four is all kind of, it's kind of set in stone in the sense that it's Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, not necessarily in that order, but one of those four teams ideally wins the league in most lists. I think TCU occasionally makes that case. I think Kansas State's probably going to do, I mean, they're picked second, so it's not really overwhelming expectations or anything crazy like that. I think they could do on par, similar with a team like Kansas. It's just tough to say. I mean, I think that Houston would be my next pick to win more games than I expect. Um, And I know that might be the worst take of all time, so we can just pause it right now if we have to. But I will say, going to a team that I don't think will do as well as everybody thinks, I chose Baylor. And I want to say this, Dave Aranda quickly became one of my favorite people of all time at Media Days. I think that dude is the best. One of the most positive dudes, exciting to watch. I just don't have a ton of faith in the talent on Baylor's roster this year. Yes, I know they had a lot of setbacks last year, and Dave Aranda kind of addressed the changes that had to happen this offseason. Their schedule's not easy. You know, they, they, they're tough games. They play in bad spots. And I know they've got some wins, but I, I think, like, if Baylor won, this is the tough part. If Baylor won seven games, I, I think, like, you know what? That's okay. That's a good enough season. That's a good enough season for where they're expected to be at. I haven't winning closer to five or six games. I, I think five games is not the most out-of-pocket answer for Baylor. I think Baylor could quietly disappoint. Those would be my picks for that. I know that that might be kind of a lame answer for, you know, outperforming expectations. Oklahoma State was my immediate pick, so I'll, I'll let you off the hook for that one, but that's where I'm at on that front. No, I kind of agree with you on Baylor, too. That probably would have been my second pick behind Iowa State or maybe even TCU. Uh, definitely a team I considered. Uh, 
you mentioned Blake Shapin, uh, you know, or the quarter, you know, the whole, mm-hmm. just the team in general with Aranda from last season. They had a disappointing last season. I wanted to mention Blake Shapin because he was the first thing on my mind when I think about Baylor. What is he going to be like? I mean, 18 touchdowns last year, uh, 10 interceptions. What is he going to be like? I, He's just, <laughs> you know, sometimes you look at him and there's some really good moments and then there's some like, oh, what are you doing moments? It's just. It, it's so weird with them. I like Richard Reese. I think he's definitely an All-American type running back. For me, offensive line's a question mark. They have a good receiving room with Baldwin, Presley, and and uh, Jackson Jr. Their defense, surprisingly, under Dave Aranda last year, really, really shocked me because I did not see how bad they were going to be. But again, like Oklahoma State, they lost a lot of key pieces from that 2021 team. So is this going to be the year maybe they bounce back where they're supposed to be? Or is this going to be one of those years where they start kind of slipping down the pecking order of the Big 12? So definitely an interesting team to keep an eye on. As far as Houston goes, you know, I I could maybe agree with you there. I don't know how – I don't see them finishing in like the top 10 or top 9 of the conference. No. I will say this. um, Offensively, they have all the pieces to be successful right away depending on the quarterback spot. Uh, if Smith can kind of get his act together as a passer, and he did a good job. He, t- you know, he didn't have as many turnovers last season, but for me, that the quarterback position for Houston is going to be so key. That that's going to be the difference between them winning six games and them winning three or four games. It, yeah. it really is for me. And defensively, I mean, they were a hundred and I think twelfth in points allowed last year. I mean, that that's just that's not going to cut it. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you for sure. And let me say before we move on, two quick things. One, I'm not trying to bank on Houston winning more than six games, so I'm okay with that. But I do agree with you. I mean, I think that Donovan Smith holds the key to not even really a positive record at this point, but if they win six games, would you agree that's probably a good season for Houston in their first year in the Big 12? They should set uh, shut the city down and just throw a giant party. And I was going to say, that, give, give Dana the key. <laughs> give Dana the key to the city, right? I mean... Uh, you know, it, it's not where I'm sure Houston fans want to be, but year mm-hmm. one in the Big 12, I mean, making a bowl game, you know, there might be only one or two of the new, the four new schools that make a bowl game. So if, if you're one of those two schools, I mean, that'd be huge. I think obviously we both think that UCF is definitely going to go to a bowl game. But if maybe if you had to pick a second team, for me, it's either going to be like BYU or, or mm-hmm. Houston possibly. But, you know, that would be a very big, big deal. I don't know if they'll give them the key to the city. But you know, maybe <laughs> something uh, along those lines. A pallet of energy drinks or a lifetime supply of energy drinks or something. I don't know. Hey, nothing wrong with a little Red Bull on the weekends. But I will say before we move on to that, we'll get crucified if we don't mention Texas. Because I'm sure that everybody listening is just banging their heads on the desk waiting for the Texas overhyped comment. I mean, yeah. That's just the immediate thing. Everybody's talked about that. Yeah. With the amount of hype that Texas has got this season, there's only one way to go. I mean, I don't know if you do, I assume probably not. Do you see Texas winning 10, 11 games, winning the league and going to a college football playoff? Because that's the amount of hype they're getting this season. Well, I don't, somebody I, I who don't put, <laughs> as somebody who put Texas at number one on their preseason poll, I think I kind of have to ride or die with them. <laughs> and, and before, you know, the listeners say, oh, they always pick Texas. Texas every year, it's Texas. I picked Texas to finish fifth last year. Okay, so it's not like I have been on, <laughs> I have not been on the Texas bandwagon probably since, what was it, the 2018 season where they went to the Big 12 title game and, you know, mm-hmm. they beat, you know, won the Sugar Bowl against Georgia. So it, it's been at least four years since I've been fully bought into Texas. 
uh, since you know the last three years. I don't think I've picked them higher than fourth in my preseason polls if I had to go back and look at them. So for me, this is definitely uncharted territory for Texas to come in as a favorite. They have been the favorite in the Big 12 since 2009 when Colt McCoy was there. So that's just been tells you how bad things have gotten in Austin uh, over the last 12 years. So mm-hmm. when I look at this team from top to bottom, you know, there's some really good things and there's some concerns, but the highs are really high and the lows, you know, kind of concern me. But I guess if you had to say the floor, they have a pretty safe floor. So I don't see them finishing lower than fourth in the conference. So if somebody mm-hmm. told me, oh, they're going to finish fourth, again, I wouldn't be surprised just because of how things are going to shake out this season. I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of rotating, moving parts from, you know, you can make an argument for like the top five, six, you know, maybe seven teams that could make it to Jerry world at the end of the year. So, and I wouldn't be shocked to see any one of those, my top seven there. So for me, I think it starts for Texas Quinn Ewers back. Obviously Arch Manning comes in with a ton of hype. And I mean, a ton of hype. And you would think that when Arch Manning got to Austin, he could probably walk on water. I don't, I don't think he can walk on the water just yet. I'm going to say that maybe you might, maybe in the, in the sec, he'll be able to do that. Maybe so, but not (laughs) different water out there. Yeah, different water out there. But Quinn Ewers back. I don't know how they're going to replace Bajan, but I don't think it really matters that much because they have, you know, all five starters returning up front, which I think is going to be really, really key because that's been an area of weakness for Texas for years and years and years. Uh, the wide receiver room for Texas, and I will say this, out of all the positions in the Big 12, they have the most talented wide receiver room. Not Maybe maybe not even the Big 12, maybe in the entire country. Uh, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington. Uh, you know, Donnie Mitchell from Georgia, Isaiah Nair from Wyoming. So they have like four or five really good options to throw to if you're Quinn Ewers. Uh, and they have added some talented freshmen as well because obviously it's Texas. They recruit at a high level each and every year. The one thing I will say on Tex- about Texas, their defense has to get better. If they are going to make it to a Big 12 title game and win a Big 12 title game and talk about all these things that people are, you know, already crowning them and everything like that, they have to get better defensively. I know they have a great defensive line. It's it's amazing. It's really stout. But across the board, that defense has to get better because if they do not get better, they are not, they're not making it to Arlington uh, come December. That It's just as simple as that for me. Yeah, I mean, that, that checks out for me too. And I think that, I mean, there's not really, unless there's some crazy injury and knock on wood, I don't want to see it. This team doesn't finish below fourth. I mean, you mentioned it. But on that topic, you know, heading to Jerry World, there could be six or seven teams that are all eyeing that spot. And I'm sure if you asked anybody from the eighth place team on the preseason poll to the top team in the preseason poll, everybody has their sights set on that and knows that that's where they're going to be in their own mind. To ask you this, because I know that these next two points will kind of tie into each other, I would ask you a dark horse Big 12 contender that might slip into Jerry World. But I'd also, t- I'd also ask you an ideal matchup in your mind of which two teams are going to be there. And then if it's not going to be those two teams, who's your third spot of, okay, this team could if XYZ thing happens? I think for me, it's probably just the most popular pick. I'm going the same way the media, you know, the media poll was uh, back at the Big 12 media days. I'm going Texas and Kansas State. Uh, for me, Kansas State, I already talked about Texas to a, to a certain extent, but Kansas State's another team that I think could really – Wow, some people, and I'll start with Will Howard at quarterback. Um, you know, Jalen Daniels from Kansas, the rival school, obviously, uh, for Kansas State, was the popular pick for Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. And I get it. Daniels, super talented. 
He's extremely fun to watch. He makes Kansas competitive. Without him, I'm not really sure what Kansas is because he just carries so much on him. You know, but for the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year in my book, it was Will Howard. And I think he definitely was a guy that was not getting the respect he deserved. Last season, I mean, he was the he was like the main reason that Kansas State really went from oh, they're pretty good to no, this is a really, really good team that can seriously compete for a Big 12 title. Whenever he took over for Martinez last season, that was when Kansas State became Kansas State. Obviously, they had Deuce Vaughn, which was we all know the player that he is, and he's going to have a long career in the NFL. But for me, Kansas State's that team. They return all you know all five of their guys up front, and that offensive line to me, it's going to be a juggernaut. It doesn't matter really who's back there. Obviously, you want to have some talent back there, and they do certainly do. But they're going to be paving lanes for the running backs. Will Howard's going to have time to throw. I'd like to see some of the receivers step up. We know about Philip uh, Philip Brooks in the return game, but I want to see more from the wide receiver group. Defensively, I think they're going to be really solid and really disciplined team as always. So for me, Kansas State is that second team. If there was another team I had to kind of throw my hat in the ring there for my dark horse, it's Texas Tech. I mean, well, I mentioned them a little bit earlier. They are a very, very sexy dark horse pick this year. I mean, everybody seems to be on Texas Tech and for good reason. I like the way their schedule shakes out. Uh, Tyler Shuck is healthy, and he's back at quarterback. Taj Brooks at running back. Uh, they have Bran- uh, Brandley and and Fu- I can never say this guy, not guy's name. It's Luik Fungi. I probably completely butchering that name. I can never say that name correctly. Texas Tech fans come for him if so. Yes, I'm sure they will. So to me, they offensively they have the pieces. The only question I have for them is going to be offensive line, and you're going to kind of see a theme for that in the Big 12. There's a lot of lines, offensively or defensively, that just really aren't that great this season. You just have a ton of question marks about them. That line's got to step up for Texas Tech to take that next step. And speaking of steps, their defense took a big step forward last season, and I think they're going to take another, an either, even a greater one this year in 2023. So when you kind of look at the things, how the way they add up and the things, how they shake out, Texas Tech, to me, has a legitimate chance to make it to Jerry World. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously I mentioned Oklahoma State as being, you know, one of my teams to exceed expectations. Don't be surprised if they finish maybe in the top two or three either. I don't know if they're going to sneak into Jerry World, but if I had to say a dark horse team, I, I got to go with Texas Tech, and it's hard not to. Yeah. I mean, for good reason, too. They got some absolute dogs on the defensive side of the ball, too. I mean, that defensive line is loaded. I will mention this in terms of the, you know, Big 12 championship game. I think that's a safe bet with Kansas State. I mean, Texas is just kind of the question mark in my eyes. If they win, the, if they get to the Big 12, excuse me, I would not be surprised by any means. You know, it means Quinn Ewers took the next step that we all kind of loosely expect them to take. It feels like the defense takes that step forward. If they're going to get to Jerry World, the defense has got to get better. You mentioned it earlier. I think if I had to pick my two matchup, you know, my ideal matchup in the Big 12 championship, I, I will change it up just for the sake of it because Texas and K-State is kind of the main option I'd pick in my mind. I mean, I know I mentioned Oklahoma earlier, and it's kind of beating the dead horse here. But a matchup between the Oklahoma Sooners and Kansas State would be incredibly fitting for them not fit, not matching up in the regular season. You know, you've seen it the past couple of years. K-State has given Oklahoma fits, whether it be Lincoln Riley, whether it be, uh, excuse me, Brent Venables. Their schedule is, I, I don't want to say easy, but let me read this to you. I've got them losing two games, max, on this schedule, unless something crazy happens. Let me read you through this. So non-conference, you got Arkansas State. That's a win. I'm not even going to ask. SMU, that I, I guess maybe. You know what I mean? That's a win. Tulsa, win. 
Now we're starting off Big 12 play. Give me a yes or a win or a loss here to bounce it off you. Cincinnati, win or loss? Win. Iowa State, win or loss? Win. This is this is a question. Texas. Whew. I'm going to say a loss to that one. Okay. Chalk up a loss. UCF. And that is in uh, at in Norman. That's a win. Then you've got Kansas. That is in Lawrence, but that's Kansas. I'll probably say that's a win. Oklahoma State, and that game is in Stillwater. I'm going loss. Okay. Then you get West Virginia. Easy win. BYU. Uh, it's in Provo as well. Keep in mind. That, that one's going to be interesting. I'd, I'd probably say win there. It could be close as well. And then to close off the season, you got TCU and Norman. Yeah, I'd probably have to go win there. So that'd be what, 10 and 2? 10 and 2 on the season with tough games being, I mean, tough games. You can get Oklahoma, TCU. You can get Kansas for a tough game. Oklahoma State and Texas are the only two losses based off the schedule. Like, I don't see them losing to any of the new four edition teams. I think Oklahoma has a real shot at that title game. An Oklahoma K State matchup to finish it off, that, that'd be pretty fitting, I would say. My dark horse team, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's got to be Oklahoma State. I mean, Mike Gundy isn't really a guy I want to root against. And I think, obviously, he's been talking all offseason about, well, we don't know which quarterback's going to start, and all three of them have done good things, which I don't know about your case, but I feel like it's just kind of a say what you're going to say. You know, if there was a bad option, we'd know by now. I would say that. And sure. With the guys in that locker room, I mean, you see Alan Bowman. I think he's going to be successful, and he's my pick for starter. I think that's kind of the general you know, assessment for that. I think Oklahoma State, I wouldn't be surprised if they made it too. They also have a pretty easier schedule, I would say, in terms of that. I think like it wouldn't surprise me if they lost three games on the season. And I think that could be enough. It depends on how you know the Big 12's got so much parity this season. Oklahoma State is my dark horse pick. I know you kind of mentioned that earlier, so I'm going to steal your pick a little bit. And I do want to give some love to Texas Tech. I think they could easily be in the Big 12 title game. But moving on here, we've got another topic to talk about. So I want to mention this. You know, we've got college football coming up. There's a bunch of big things coming up. We've talked a little bit off uh, off recording about the different lines and stuff to expect going into this weekend. First of all, I'd say for the games you've looked at, do you have any predictions of anything just wild happening? Is there anything off the cuff that you say... Nobody else in the country is picking this. <laughs> uh, man, I really don't know. I mean, let just listen to these opponents that the, the teams are in the Big 12 are playing. Kent State, Missouri State, Colorado, Arkansas State, Northern Iowa, Rice, Eastern Kentucky, Southeast Missouri State, Texas State, UTSA, which is, a, I will give mm-hmm. credit to, that is a good uh, group of five program, Central Arkansas, Wyoming, Sam Houston, and the toughest one by far, it's Penn State, you know, West Virginia at Penn State. Mm-hmm. That is by far the toughest game for a Big 12 uh, or for a Big 12 team because Penn State's a top 10 team. They're playing um, in a, at Beaver Stadium. Um, I don't, it's not a whiteout or anything like that, but you know that place is going to be, you know, 100,000 plus strong. Mm-hmm. So it is going to be like the worst environment imaginable for Neil Brown. <laughs> Uh, entering possibly his final year at West Virginia. So Neil Brown talked about that chip being on his shoulder and his team's shoulder. That thing better be the size of a planet going into Penn State (laughs) because he is going to need more than one miracle 
to try to pull off that game. But I, I mean, when I look at the games, you know, across the board, is there any one that really concerns me? You know, maybe a team on upset alert. I, I think the probably obvious choice for me personally would have to be Houston, but Houston will kind of get to that in a minute is they're actually an underdog in the UTSA game. So if Houston beat UTSA, I think that'd be a pretty big deal for them. That'd be a great way to start off the year uh, for Dana Holgerson and company. The other one to me, the one I'd look at on upset alert and it's, it feels like it happens like almost every year where it's a close game. It's Northern Iowa at Iowa state. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, that game is close. It doesn't even matter how talented Iowa State is. But with just so many things going on in Ames, being the first game for, for Rocco Beck as a starter or, or you know even J.J. Cole possibly. So that, that first game really kind of does concern me a little bit. Um, and if you're an Iowa State fan, that might be one that you might need you might need more than a six pack of Bush Light uh, <laughs> at the end of that game for me. So that that's going to be definitely an interesting one and one to keep an eye on for me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even going to beat around the bush. That is the that's the question mark of the schedule. I mean, not even necessarily the question mark, but you know, you're not really concerned about any, any of the other teams on this list. I mean, there's some like UTSA is a good team, but Houston being the you know being the underdog, it's not to say that they're on upset alert in that sense. Uh, but there's not a team that I look at and say, okay, this team's got to be careful because X, Y, Z. It's got to be Iowa State. I mean, yeah. I told some buddies of mine that are kind of Iowa State friends the other day about this. All I hope from that game, once again, I hope for a win, so get that off my chest now. But all I want to see is some improvement based off the expectation in everybody's mind. Because even though it's the non-con, you know, you and I, they want to get that win. And I'm sure that the coaching staff knows, like, hey, they're without 800 different players right now. We can beat this team. I'm sure that's what they're feeding to their guys in the locker room. I just want to see some type of, you know, normalcy in the offense. Okay, this guy's moving the ball. This guy's moving the ball. I'm not sure whether it be J.J. Cole or Rocco Beck, who's going to be starting it for that game. I, I assume J.J. Cole, but, I, I you know, correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, but seeing that as the only major question mark, I think that's probably where I'd rest my vote, to say the least. But I do want to ask you on that topic. There's a lot of points on this board. From every team, it seems like there's at least 25 points in most cases. Obviously, you get the outliers here and there. Are there any games you're looking at in terms of spread, in terms of picking the spread? Is there a game you're focused on saying, all right, there's some money to be made here for this reason? I I think there's a couple that really stick out to me. I think my best bet of the weekend is going to be Texas Tech minus 14 against Wyoming. To me, like I look at that spread and that doesn't even seem possible that it should be that low because I think Texas Tech's going to win that game by at least three. I would say 21 to 24 points maybe. If they won by 30, I wouldn't even be surprised because I think they're going to come out fighting with a bang right away in week one. So for me, that to me is probably the best bet. Um, Arkansas State uh, in Oklahoma is another interesting one. If I had to put maybe put some money on that one, Oklahoma favored by 35 and a half. Again, after the six and seven year that they had last season under Venables, I think they're going to come out firing. I could see them winning by at least 40. Uh, maybe even the Houston one, if you are feeling a little bit risky and dangerous, the uh, Houston's a one-point underdog in that game at home. So if you're feeling a little bit uh, risky, uh, maybe this week, maybe you put put some cash on that one. If I had to say a worst bet of the weekend for me, uh, I hate to say it, and I talked about this game just a while ago, but I mean, there's no way West Virginia is staying within 20, 20 and a half mm-hmm. points of Penn State. I just don't see that happening. Um Maybe maybe it could, but I would not 
I would not touch that game with the 10 foot pole. There's no way I would touch the West Virginia Penn State game. And with that being in Happy Valley, like there's, let's face it, there's no chance that they're losing by less than two touchdowns. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that it's just not going to happen. But 20 and a half points, I, I see that Penn State beating them by, you know, maybe 42 to 14 or something like that. It's just, I, I just don't see it being close. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you right now, they're going to come for you for not trusting the climb. But, uh, you know, maybe if Pat White steps on the field, I'd feel better about this game. But as of right now, this is not the roster. This is not the team. And I don't think Neil Brown really, I mean, not to say he doesn't have control of the locker room, but you're just outclassed. This just will not be less than a 21-point game. That's just not the case in my mind. Uh, I know I talked up Houston a little bit earlier. I'm not going to double down on Houston. I will say this, and this is something I've always been speculative of, or or not necessarily speculative. One thing I've been critical of in my mind, 40 points is a lot in any spread, even though there's certain teams that, yeah, okay, they'll win, what, 59 to 14, or they'll win 63 to 7. I mean, that happens, you know, in week zero to week one all the time. A game I would look at as a question mark, and once again, I'm not feeling good. I'm not an avid fan of this team, but I will say, UCF minus 37 versus Kansas, or excuse me, versus Kent State. I didn't know nothing about Kent State, and I won't sit here and tell you that I do, so don't <laughs> take this as actual financial advice. But that's a lot of points. And I know that Kent State will be outclassed, but they've got to score at some point, seven points. I mean, is, is UCF going to run off 45 straight points in this game? I don't know. It's not my best bet by any means. But that'd be the only thing I'd look at and say, well, that could maybe happen. Um, I think there's money to be made in that BYU game potentially. I don't, I just don't know what to get out of the BYU quarterback situation. Um, That's I another think one my, that scares me too. I mean, BYU yeah. minus twenty gets Sam Houston State. I mean, ah, uh, you kind of want to say like, oh yeah, that will be an easy win, but at the same time, you just don't know what to expect from from the quarterback situation mm-hmm. in Provo. And you think about it, like BYU is such an interesting spot right now. You know, their coach is, I mean, not necessarily on the hot seat by any means, but I'd say that there's still so many questions going into BYU that I need one game under my belt before I decide to bet on BYU at this point. Um, I think that there's there's definitely money to be made somewhere in Houston. I can't tell you which side that is. UTSA's quarterback will be the best player in that game. Um, I can't name the kid off the top of my head, but I think it'd be interesting to follow. And my best bet, and I hate that I'm about to say this, and I know your eyes are glued on the same game I'm talking about because it's not a good bet, but I'm going to run with it. I would say that Colorado has a chance to keep it within 21, just based off the fact that I don't know what to expect with Chandler Mixon. So that's kind of where I'd run with that. Um, but I'll get you a quick reaction to that before we get out of here. But I do want to ask about the Colorado TCU game for you real quick. Another one I probably wouldn't feel comfortable touching, but at the same time, I could see maybe the spread being more, but, I just don't think Colorado is going to be good this year. I know what Dion's been doing and the, all the high piece surrounded with the program, but I don't think in year one they're going to be right where they want to be. So give it some time with Dion. I think they're eventually going to be a program on the rise, but not this year. But I don't think I would touch that week one game just because the unknown factor. Well, i tell you what, we will talk about where we were right and where we were wrong on next week's episode. We appreciate each and every one of you guys listening. Derek, do you have anything to say before we get out of here? Nope, I think it's time for last call. So I'll go ahead and take my last sip here and kind of wrap up. Uh, wrap up, but uh, definitely had a great, uh, great uh, episode one, and appreciate everybody listening out there. Once again, we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Heartland After Dark podcast. We appreciate you. I hope you have a wonderful day. I know myself and Derek will talk some more Big Twelve stuff. 
Thanks for being a fan. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. Take care.